All right. Good morning. Great to see everybody here today. Um, at some point, I'm sure I'm going to hold my arm up and you're going to see the bruises all over. This is, uh, I think, not sure, uh, from tubing yesterday. We're down on the lake. A bunch of us were. There's still a bunch of people still down there. It got kind of wild. Uh, but uh, we thank uh, Dwight, uh, our drummer, uh, today, and his buddy Gary, who came down and pulled people all day long out on that lake. So, that was fantastic. All right, unusual suspects. So we're doing this series on the disciples. Why are the disciples unusual suspects? Um, you know, what's so unusual about them? Well, think, you know, think about this. When Jesus Christ decided to begin a spiritual revolution here on the earth, uh, think about the people that he chose. And it definitely was a revolution. We're told in Acts chapter 17 that these guys turned the world upside down. But when you consider the makeup of who they were, it just seems so completely unusual the route that he chose to do this. I mean, if you're thinking, honestly, really, everybody, if you're thinking for a second, you want to start a spiritual revolution in the world, and you're going you're gonna to lead that charge, where are you going to go to find your teammates All right, like for a spiritual revolution? Are you going to go to a Bible college or a seminary? You're going to head down to the fishing pier. Because where Jesus headed to was the fishing pier. Jesus did not choose one institutional religious leader to be on his team. Not one. What does that say? What does that say? I think it actually says a lot. This message today is entitled Power to the People. Anybody familiar with the first service? Not one single person knew the song Power to the People. Does anybody know the song Power to the People here? Who was it? John Lennon. Thank you very much. Uh, There's a prize at the door. You go outside, there'd be a prize for you. My, we had at least one Beatles fan here. John, John Lennon, A Power of the People. It's about a political revolution, but what Jesus is about is a spiritual revolution. And look at the team that he put together around him. He chose four fishermen. Probably seven of them were fishermen, but we know definitely four were fishermen. One of them was a zealot. You know what a zealot was 2,000 years ago? A zealot was basically a Middle Eastern terrorist. And they were committed to the fact that they were going to eliminate anybody in partnership with Rome. And Rome was occupying Israel at the time, right? Anybody in partnership with Rome. So Jesus also chose Matthew. Matthew is who? A tax collector. What was Matthew doing? He was in partnership with Rome. And Jesus said, I'm with these guys in my inner circle here to start a spiritual revolution. Can you imagine the conflict that existed amongst the disciples? He chose one guy that was a betrayer, and we all, you know, we know all about him. Actually, I've said that we're not going to cover um, Judas at all, the betrayer. But I've gotten so many people that said, "Oh, we actually want to hear about Judas. You know, tell us about the bad stuff." So, um, if you want to hear about Judas, you need to let me know because we're right on the fence whether or not we're actually going to cover uh, Judas. But anyway, it was about the people. It was about the people. And what's interesting is you read the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us this, that God calls people to be pastors and teachers and all this kind of stuff. It lists these number of callings to be in the clergy. And it says, so they can do what? So they can equip the true ministers of the church of Jesus Christ. Who are the true ministers? Does anybody know what Ephesians 4 talks about? Who are the true, the true ministers of the church of Jesus Christ? Anybody here at all? They are who? Guess. You. They're you. They're the people. It's the power to the people. And so when Jesus 
chose his disciples. He did not choose one institutional religious person. It was power to the people. And they were to be the ministers. It's a very unusual way that Jesus Christ has done this. Um, I want to go through five things that these guys lacked. Maybe you can identify with them. I know I identified strongly with a couple of these things. But there's five critical things that these disciples lack together, just to get an overview of who they are. Number one, they lack spiritual understanding. There's a little fill-in on the back if you want to follow along and fill in the blanks. But they, they lack spiritual understanding. Jesus had been talking to them constantly for about two years about a spiritual revolution. And they kept saying, ah, oh, but we want it to be a political revolution. We want to rid ourselves of this Roman army and this Roman occupation. And Jesus said, no, we have to start with the spiritual first. And so he kept coming back to this over and over again. It's a spiritual revolution. So finally, he's crucified raised from the dead. He spends 40 days with them on earth after he's been resurrected from the dead. He's talking to them. What is he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual revolution over and over again. So now picture this. This is his last hour. He's getting ready. He's just outside of Jerusalem. He's going to go up to the heavens, right? And so they say what? What do they say to him? Okay, is now the time that you're going to bring the political revolution? And he's like, I can't believe this. Do you guys still don't get this? Do you not understand? So they had a problem with spiritual understanding. They lacked spiritual understanding. Second thing, they lacked humility. Mark 9.34 tells us that just before they had, you know, the uh, first communion, or the Lord's Supper, before they had that, went to the upper room and had that, they had this major argument out on the road on the way there. And they were discussing amongst themselves of all things which one of them was the greatest disciple. It was not an exercise in humility. It was an exercise in arrogance. And so they're having this fight. Who's the greatest? Jesus, what were you guys arguing about on the road? And he said, well, you know, they didn't want to tell him. They were so embarrassed. So they lacked humility. Third thing they lacked, they lacked faith. Four times in the book of Matthew, Jesus says these words, O ye of little faith. He says this to the disciples, O ye of little faith. And Mark 4.40, he says this to them, he says, how is it, guys, that you have no faith at all? Think about this, everybody. They lack spiritual understanding. They lack humility. They lack faith. You would think, oh, my gosh, if I'm going to be somebody who's going to be a part of the team of Jesus Christ, so to speak, and do something for God in this world, I can't have any of those things, right? So we all look at people who, oh, man, they got great faith. They have no doubts, no doubts whatsoever, and... Well, at least they appear to be humble. But that's a funny thing, talking about humility, isn't it? Spiritual understanding. People, you know, there's people, oh, man, they seem to understand so much. The qualifications to being on Jesus' team is people who struggled with faith. We could talk on and on about that. I want you to wrestle with that on your own. People who had serious doubts, they're the one that made it on the team. Fourth, they lack commitment. Yes, they had a consistency issue. We're told in John 16, 32, that Jesus said every single one of you is going to desert me. And that's exactly what they did. Finally, they lacked power. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, Jesus says, you're going to receive power. It's the Greek word dudamis, which means dynamite. You're going to get dynamite power because you need dynamite help. They lacked power. These are the five things they like. Now, if you identify with any or all of these things, here's the good news. You are a candidate to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and a part of his revolution team, which is pretty, that's pretty good news. Now, let's talk about Andrew specifically today because you saw the picture that we did our best job of a remake of what Andrew would look like so you guys could visually get in touch with what Andrew would be. 
All right? And so that's what he looks like. Who is Andrew? Who is Andrew? He is Peter's brother. Peter's brother. Let's read about it in Matthew 10. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're going to talk about Andrew today. And you know Andrew a whole lot better than we do. You understand, God, um, why you chose him to be on your team. Lord, help us to learn. Whatever it is you want us to learn today about Andrew, help us to get it. In Jesus' name, amen. We are much more familiar with disciples 1, 3, and 4, aren't we? Peter, James, and John. We're very familiar with that. But on every list of the disciples, when you read, there's four different lists that you find in the Scriptures. Every single time, you'll find that Andrew is second on the list right after Peter. He's very prominent, and where you came in that list is very important. So he's very prominent. Andrew always comes in at that second place. Andrew, this is what you need to know about him, he was a people person. He was a people person. People gravitated toward Andrew. Didn't matter what kind of person you were, rich or poor, young, old, whatever your background was. Andrew knew how to handle and interact with people in any and all kinds of situations. You'll see a little bit of that today as we go uh, through his life a little bit. Andrew basically was just a great guy. People loved Andrew. Now, it would be wrong to say that he was like a party animal, but he had some of those aspects. I mean, he just kind of drew people like, you know, a bee to honey. He was like the honey. People just loved to gravitate around him. His name, Andrew... Remember, uh, we've talked about this before. Names are very important. So when Jesus says, look, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Peter because you're going to be a rock, it's really important. So what, what does Andrew's name mean? Well, here's what his name means. His name means manly. Manly. He is a manly man. He is a tough guy, right? He's a fisherman. Now, he's not a fly fisherman. He's not out making those nice little loopy things they do and like doing artwork with the string. Not if you're a fly fish, that's okay. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, okay? But this guy is like working on the deadliest catch, you know, program out there in Alaska. He's working with big nets. I mean, he is a tough guy. He is a follower of John the Baptist, everybody. Now, that didn't mean that he followed John full-time. It meant he was a full-time fisherman, but he was the disciple of John the Baptist. Anybody who was the disciple of John the Baptist was a tough guy because John the Baptist, everybody, was a tough guy. Everybody knows John the Baptist was a tough guy. Every time you find a description of John the Baptist in Scripture, what does it say about him? It says that, you know, he lived out in the woods. He was out in the wilderness. And what did he do? He ate locusts. Like he'd see a, something just crawl on the ground. He'd just pick it up and just eat it. Didn't matter a thing. He was tough. Right? He wore like camel hair or something like the hair. I don't know he's some just killed an animal and put the hair of it on it. That, that's the kind of guy that he that, that, that he was. And then it always says he wore a leather belt. And what does that mean? Why does it tell us he wore a leather belt? That's kind of the first century version of saying this guy rode a Harley. Alright? That's who John the Bat he's a tough guy. So if you're gonna be a follower of John, this guy who's fearless, who get up he'd get up in anybody's face. That's who John was. He'd get up and even you got to be a tough guy too. And that's who Andrew was. Andrew had this reputation for introducing people to Jesus Christ. 
That is crystal clear. He was great with people, had wonderful people skills, excellent instincts, and he was always introducing people to Jesus Christ over and over again in the scriptures. Let's read a couple of these things. John chapter 1. Andrew, now this is the first time that Andrew meets Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard what John, speaking of John the Baptist. Now here, let me set the scene for you. They're out. John is doing some preaching and he's hanging out with John. He took a day off from the nets. He's out with John and John says, whoa, here's Jesus and he is the Messiah. Andrew hears this being said and now look what happens next. So he heard what John the Baptist had said and he followed Jesus. The first thing that he did after he followed Jesus, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. Now listen, old hard head, knuckle-headed Simon Peter, right, who's very stubborn, Andrew's the kind of guy who could go to somebody who refuses to do anything, who's kind of, no, I'm not going to, you know, not going to tell me where to go, what to do. But Andrew's the kind of guy that everybody just wants to be around him and follow him. So Andrew goes to his brother. Peter says, look, you've got to come meet this guy. This guy is really cool. I want you to, you know, join me. And what what does Peter do? He jumps right on board and he follows right behind him. That is Andrew. Let me show you something else about him. In John chapter 6, the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. It says this about this story. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw this huge crowd of people, everybody, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them. Let me stop right there. A little time out right there. He asked Philip. But if you read the whole story, what's clear is he's asking. The question is directed to Philip. But all the disciples are standing there. And so really all of them are being asked this question. And Philip is totally stumped. He doesn't know what to say. So he says, Uh, He asked him to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answers him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. So we got a lot of people here. Another of his disciples, here comes Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Everybody, here's what we learn about Andrew over and over again. He saw individuals. Peter, his older brother, was famous for being in front of large groups of people and being bold and abrasive and loud and on and on. But Andrew saw individuals, even a little boy. He valued those individual relationships. And he knew that if he introduced somebody to Jesus Christ, the possibilities were endless. That's all he knew. He had no idea what was going to happen here. I mean, he was was stumped along with everybody else, but he knew that he had recognized this boy when everybody else didn't recognize this boy, and this boy has a couple loaves of bread, he's got a couple fish. He says, I don't know what in the world Jesus is going to do with that, but I know every time I introduce somebody to Jesus Christ, I just get them in a meeting together, something good seems to happen. So that's exactly what he did. Exactly what he did. One-on-one relationships. Now, everybody, that is the best way of introducing people to Jesus Christ. Now, we come, and we come in a large gathering like this, or even bigger gatherings, other places, and they're wonderful. But the most effective way to enter into a relationship with Christ is when a friend or an acquaintance or somebody like an Andrew actually makes that introduction for us. It's one-on-one. We're doing this program that Derek started talking about last week called Next Step. The Next Step program is all about one-on-one relationship. It's about... We ask you to take this little deal right here, this connect card, and to fill it out and put next step on it, put your name in a contact. And then what we do, and to drop it in the red box, 
Give us a way to contact you, and then we meet one of the staff, Derek or I or somebody else on staff, is going to meet with you one-on-one, and here's what it's all about. Now, and here's why I want to talk about it right now. Because if Andrew was around, if he was around today, he'd be the guy leading up this program because he's all about the one-on-one. What we do in this next step is we have figured out through a lot of, not on our part, all the research on our part, but there are five ways that we can have a spiritual revolution or we can grow spiritually in our own lives. And what we're thinking is this. We don't, we don't know, you know, if you're like, man, I want to go to a 10, you know, spiritually with God, or maybe you're happy where you are, whatever. But here's, here's how it strikes me. If I ever want to say I want to take it to the next step, I want to grow spiritually, at least I want to know what do I do. Because if one night I'm lying in bed and say, you know what, I need to have a spiritual revolution in my own life. If I didn't at least have the information about how to do it, I'd be stuck. So we get together, we hear a little bit of your story, and we talk about these five tried and true biblical ways. Some of us are strong in three areas, and we can too. And we just talk about, okay, here's what you can do to balance that. And here we release you with that information. So here's our hope. 50 people so far have signed up for this. We're going for 200. That's a big goal. But we hope that you'll sign up and put the next step, drop it in the red box. We'd love to meet with you. This is, this is Andrew's kind of thing. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today. All right. Let me give you another situation here. John chapter 12. It says, Now there were some Greeks among them who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. They said, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Why is that? you got a group of people. They've come to this feast. They've heard about Jesus. They want to meet Jesus. They're Greek. Well, they go to Philip. Philip is a Greek name. So they're thinking, okay, we've got a comrade here. So this is our end. So we'll go to him. Now, what did Philip do? Philip was a disciple of Jesus Christ, just like Andrew was. But Philip knew this. Philip knew that Andrew was the people person. Philip knew that Andrew had the skills and the gifts and the tact and the thoughtfulness and the insight, whatever it was. He knew how to bring people together. And he knew that he needed to go to Andrew so Andrew could set it up. So Andrew could talk to the guys, talk to this group of Greek people and say, yeah, okay, guys, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about who Jesus is. And Okay, yeah, good to meet you. Got their names. Maybe he just went around and got all their names, you know. I don't know what all the Greek names are, but, you know, maybe he went around and says, okay, what's your, okay, because so, when I make this introduction, isn't it better that when you're introducing people together, they say, hey, uh, Jesus, this is, uh, you know, I don't know his name over here, but it's so-and-so and so-and-so. Wouldn't it be much better if you said, hey, this is, I don't know, Hercules, what is Greek names, Philip, <laughs> whatever, okay? You understand what I'm trying to say? He knew how to, he was a people person. He knew how to make that introduction. Philip knew that, and that's why Philip went to Andrew, because Andrew was going to do it right. Check this out. You can read a lot of stuff about the disciples in Scripture, but here, the thing that you need to know about Andrew, other than the fact that he's a people person, every single time he's mentioned in Scripture, and he speaks or he acts, he always says and does the right thing. Isn't that interesting? He's very thoughtful. He's very insightful, and he's very much a people person. He always says and does the right thing. Now, we don't read about Andrew in the book of Acts. Once you get past Acts chapter 1, Acts 1 and 2, I mean, it's like, what happened to him? He was gone. He disappeared. You know why? Because he did disappear. Many of the disciples hung right there in Jerusalem, or they just began to spread out from Jerusalem like this. And you know what Andrew did? Andrew took off. He went due north. He went up into Russia. 
He went to Russia and he just, he didn't do big gatherings, didn't hold big crusades or anything like that. He just met with people one-on-one said, hey, you know, I mean, he was such a likable guy and he would hold conversations with people and says, yeah, I want to tell you about somebody I know, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you his story. Can I just tell you his story? He did that in Russia and then he went west. He went to Scotland and today he's the patron saint of Scotland. Now, can anybody think of anything in Scotland that is named after Andrew? And it is St. Andrews. So not only was he a fisherman, apparently he became a golfer as well. <laughs> right? But that's his impact. I mean, to this day, what do we know about Scotland? We know about the... Uh, yes. We know about the kilts. And we know about St. Andrews Golf Course, right? Because that's where golf began. And Andrew, he's right at the core of that. That's the impact that this guy had. Now, he left Scotland, he headed south, went down to Greece, got into southern Greece. Again, just meeting people, talking to him about Jesus Christ. And the authorities didn't like that down there in southern Greece. And somebody, one of the governors, got all bent out of shape, had him arrested, and then they condemned him to death. And he's up in his 60s now or so. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. But he's up, in his, uh, he's up in his 60s somewhere. So this has been like 30 years since Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven. And this governor said, okay, that's it. I've had enough of you. And so they crucified him. They did not put him on a T cross. They put him on an X cross they did not nail him to the cross they tied him to the cross because they wanted him to suffer a couple days out there and he didn't take it as suffering they tied him to that x cross they put him in a place where lots of people would see him and for the next two days as he hung on that cross before he died he just encouraged in a very likable wonderful kind of gravitating kind of way the kind of guy he was people to enter into a relationship with jesus christ the guy was awesome the guy was absolutely awesome Oh, we talk about people. Maybe you know people like this. They're just wonderful people, persons. You know, when I think of some, I think of Derek. Derek is very much like this. Derek, tell me, but in his fraternity there at uh, University of Miami, Ohio, that when he was there and there was a party to be had, that they wouldn't start the party that he would arrive. Now, it was all good, <laughs> clean. It was good, clean partying. I just want to say that just for his <laughs> reputation. It's clean party. But he's that kind of guy. You want to be around him. And that's who Andrew was. So when, you know, when Andrew, when an Andrew has a book club or is going skiing or is headed to the lake, going camping, or is going to start a kickball team, you just say, I hate kickball, but I'm going to join the kickball team because I want to be around Andrew, right? That's the kind of person Andrew was. And, and what, what happens so often is we don't realize a lot of times in the church that, you know, people who kind of have that, you know, vibe about them, rather than using all that energy for other stuff, Okay, you, that we can actually use it for God. We can use it in wonderful ways for God, awesome ways. Here's what I want you to write down. If you're following along on the back of them, would you please put this in? We need more Andrews. We need more. I want to be crystal, crystal clear with this. We need more Andrews. We need people who are going to bring power to the people. Here's what I think so often happens. Because his brother, everybody, Peter, gets more airtime, big, bold, brash, hard, kind of abrasive, a fighter. I mean, he's the guy swing. You never read about Andrew, though he's a manly man. You don't find him swinging swords, cutting people's ears off and stuff like that. But you read so much about Peter that when we think about how am I going to introduce my relative or my friend to Jesus Christ, they think, oh, I, 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 I got to do it like Peter. I can, you know, turn or burn. You're going to hell, right? This kind of stuff. And so that kind of takes it over. But, but, but look, who did Jesus Christ call first? Peter or Andrew? Answer. Andrew. 
So when he said, how am I going to build this team? I'm building it on Andrew. We're starting here. Peter's a great leader. I'm not. I don't want to. When I get up there, St. Peter's at the door. I don't want him to get set with me. But the deal is, is that it's built on Andrews. And so a lot of times we think about evangelism or however, whatever word you want to put that to. I just like talking about introducing people to Jesus Christ and who he is and his story. It needs to be done like Andrew, not so much like Peter. We don't, you know, but we hear so much about Peter. Um, friend of mine, a uh, friend of my family's actually, Maudie Donovan. Uh, she's up now, mid-80s now, at least at, at some point. But she is, whoo, I mean, she is bold. She is way, she's way out there. You know what I mean? And so she was helping. When Chris and I first got married, uh, we didn't have two dimes to rub. We probably didn't have two pennies to rub. We were, we were dirt poor. And Maudie was working for the Washington Post. And she knew that we needed a stove. The place we were staying didn't even have a stove. And so uh, she, she worked in the classified section, and somebody listed a stove one day. And so she called us up. She said, I found you a stove. Let's go get it. How much did it cost? She said, don't worry about it. Okay. So we got a pickup truck, borrowed a pickup truck, and we head over into Maryland to pick up a stove. We get there. It's in the evening. It's almost dark. We go meet the guy. He's got the stove down in his basement. He wants $800 for the stove. I've got $200. And I said, oh, sir, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't know the price. And there's, I, can't, I can't afford it. I'm sorry. We'll just, you know, we'll go. Marty said, Johnny, just step back. Now, I started melting right about that because it was going to it was going to get really tough. And man, she she started to go. Look at she said, look at these guys. Weren't you young one day? Don't you remember when you didn't have anything? They got nothing. How can you charge them eight hundred dollars? She worked that guy in fine. I didn't think he was going to bend, but he sold us that stove for $200. I felt, I just wanted to get out of there. I felt so bad. We just stole the guy's stove from him. We get it. He loads it. He helps us to load this thing up the steps and everything. We've taken all this. We get in the back of this pickup. I'll never forget this because it was just like this. I had the back of the, you know, the door of the pickup. Bam. I slammed it shut. I turned around, and as I did to look at him, she's standing right there. She steps right in front of me, and she looks at him. She says, do you know Jesus? I said, oh, man. It's bad enough we just stole the stove. We're talking about Jesus now. And he said, here's where it's really good. He says, ma'am, I go to the Baptist church down the street. And the moment he said Baptist church, she backed him all the way against his house, put her finger right in his chest. She said, I didn't ask you where you went to church. Do you know Jesus? Now, is she Peter? I was like, man, can we just leave? Can we go? You know, and she starts preaching, you know, Jesus to him. This kind of stuff. Here's what I want you to say. I want you to remember this. It's what I want to say to you. We only need like one out of every 200 million Christians to be Peter. Like just need one. Just need one. That's all you need. You got one rock. That's all you need. But we need millions of Andrews, everybody. And a lot of times we take our cues on evangelism and introducing people to Christ from Peter. And Jesus is saying, who did I start with? Who did I start with? I started with Andrew. I start with Andrews. We need more Andrews. I was saying to God, God, how, what do you want to do today with Andrew? What do you want to say? How do you want to close this out? Here's the only thing that came to me. It came to me strong. This is the one thing. I want to get all the Andrews together. There's a bunch of Andrews in this room. Some of you know you're Andrew. You know that God has wired you with the power for people. You connect with people, and you know it. Some of you are sitting right on the edge like, yeah, maybe I might be Andrew. I don't know. Okay. Here's the thing. I want to get all the Andrews together for 60 seconds. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to come back. I'm going to sing a song. And the moment the song's done, there's a prayer room right there. I'd like all the Andrews, give me 60 seconds of your time. I have something that I want to say to you Andrews. 
that I feel like God has really put on my heart. I just want to gather you there. 60 seconds is all I need. And then we're gonna, I'm going to say it, we're going to pray, and then boom, you're gone. Okay? If you're an Andrew, or you think you might be an Andrew, I really am asking you, give me the few moments and come into the room. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Andrew. What a guy. Lord, um, help us. Help us to learn today. Help us to understand what it is that you are calling each one of us to be and what we can learn from Andrew. What can we be and what can we do for you, Jesus? In your holy name, amen.